hey, hey, Big City 101.3 FM. If that's not Freaky Friday music, I don't know what is. Mm-mm, I don't know. I don't know. Good rising. Good rising, family. How are you? I'm feeling some type of way this morning. You want to know why? Because I'm not ready. Do you know what today is? Today is July 31st. July 31st. I never thought in a million years that this week would go by, this month, this year. It's almost 2016, if you think about it. We're in August 8, 15. I can't believe it. It just, it went by entirely too fast for me. And I'm not ready. So let me say this now. As far as next week is concerned, the children and I leave on Wednesday. We return on Tuesday. I really thought we had an extra week, you guys. I thought we had an extra week before the departure of the children and I. Um, But we do not. We leave on Wednesday. And I'm not ready for that either. Um, What I am ready for is this weather. Currently at 72 degrees. Later on, we're looking at a high of 90, low of 66. Tomorrow, high of 89, low of 66. Partly cloudy throughout the day. Sunday, high of 88, low of 67. Partly cloudy. Monday, high of 92, low of 72. And on Tuesday, we're looking at rain throughout the entire day. High of 89, low of 64. But don't quote me on that because you know how it is. The weather's going to change tomorrow. There's going to be something completely different. <laughs> as far as traffic is concerned, 93 South is down to 28 miles an hour. There's no accident. There's no rhyme or reason, but they are down to 28 miles an hour to the Braintree Quincy split. And then it starts picking up at 57 miles an hour. Uh, if you're leaving the city, 93 South is down to 45 miles an hour. And if you are coming into the city, we are looking steady at 62 miles an hour. We have a little pocket. Over here off ramp block, Route 16 West at Route 38 Main Street. Uh, And this is Winthrop Street, Roland Street, 16 West. We have a little pocket like we always do. Our wife station is down to 15, uh, this rising. And MA9 East. Warren Street, Kennedy Street, High Street is down to 17 miles an hour. Get to where you need to go and do not text and drive because the person in front of you might want to stop. You want to go and you just caused an accident. Your insurance went up. We can go down the list. Just don't do it. High school football player, 16 years old, dies after morning practice in 90 degree heat. Uh, Tariki and McAllen, 16 years old, died Wednesday at Children's Hospital. The teen's cause of death is not yet known. However, he had reportedly been complaining about not feeling well after football practice that morning. Uh, Temperatures in Brownsville, Tennessee, that rising, range from 80 to 95 degrees with a heat index of up to 109 degrees. Haywood's head Football coach Stephen Hoofkin uh, told Jackson's son that McCollin's death was not related to the weather. Baby, how do you know that? How do you know? We, there have been plenty of instances. If you guys remember, what was it, like five years ago when all the football players, I think there, there were some high school players that was dying. We had a college player that was dying. When it comes to this weather, make sure you keep your children hydrated because I know football season is coming up. I know that reports are stating that it's supposed to get a lot hotter before it gets colder because uh, we are close to fall. We might. I feel like we're going to have an Indian summer uh, because, for crying out loud, it's August 1st and 
a lot of people are saying, Taylor, we still didn't really have summer yet. And the truth of the matter is, it's true. We haven't had those, you know, we've never had a 100 degree day yet. So maybe the worst is to come. Make sure you keep those babies hydrated. Make sure, you know, you are that parent that lets the coach know that, I don't care what kind of regimen you guys are on. If my baby says he's thirsty, make sure he gets some water. I know the coaches can be hard on our children sometimes. He got tangled in the car and fired. New body cam videos show two campus cops backing up the story of the colleague who shot dead an unarmed black man as an officer at the center of the murder case post-million-dollar bail. Videos were taken on David Linden Schmidt and Philip Kidd's body cams appeared to show officers backing up colleague Ray Tenzing's alleged lies so let me pause there because there's more information to to read there was a study that was done uh, a few years back I believe it was eight ten years when there was a Puerto Rican day parade uh, maybe a Dominican parade out in New York and there was a woman in the middle of the parade that was raped molested she was touched uh, and there was this huge study about crowds and how crowds make people do things. When you're in the center of a crowd, it makes you do things that you wouldn't typically do because you're caught up in the energy of the crowd. Sounds crazy, right? No, this is a real study that produced real results that said that people will do things outside of their norm when they're in the center of the crowd. One of the things that Taylor Andre would like to address, one of my concerns is that there there is a culture of this, uh, you know, I, I don't know the te technical name of this crowd interaction, but I think that we can adopt that model, adopt that thesis, that premise, and take it over to police. You want to fit in. You want to, you know, be there for your brothers, that camaraderie. You want to be there. You know, no one wants to be the black sheep of the family. Nobody wants to be the one pointing the finger saying, hey, you know that was wrong. We all have moral compasses within. We all know the difference between right, wrong, and immoral. Right? So when we have two officers that are willing to back up their colleagues' lies, I think one of the questions on the psychological exam that they have to take prior to becoming officers is if you see somebody doing something wrong, are you more likely to corroborate their story? Are you more likely to be that whistleblower? I think that's important. I think that's extremely important to find out who are we really dealing with. Are you willing to get along to go along? To say whatever you have to say to make sure that you're one of the good old boys? Or are you willing to step outside of the box and say, listen, I see something, I'm going to say something. So it's perfectly fine when the citizens of the United States of America see something and say something. You know, that's the saying for everything, the Boston bombing. If you see something, say something. Everything, you know, snitch on your fellow neighbor, even if you don't know the whole story. But yet, when these police officers do it, it's a completely different story. They get fired. Their hours get uh, lowered, cut in half. Then losing benefits. X, Y, Z. It's a trickle-down effect. And we are too busy chastising the one who snitched instead of focusing on the problem. Again, two officers 
on body cam being uh, incriminating themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you say, babe. Whatever you say. Uh huh. That's what happened. I'm with him. Lies. Lies. So thinking about this for me is like, all right, I get stopped. You don't like my attitude. You go ahead and plant or put something in my vehicle. Now there's two other cops that are willing to say that I am guilty of this thing that I didn't do because of the things that you guys did. Do you see how that is entirely unfair? How many times did somebody get arrested, go to jail, spend 2, 10, 20 years behind bars for a crime they never committed? If I may allow me to stand on my soapbox, how many black men have been locked up since the 60s, since the 70s, since the 80s? Can we not review every single last one of those cases and say, listen, this looks like a bogus charge? This is crazy. We know that this officer was involved in some type of effery and this case is compromised. Can we not look at every single last case that David Linden Schmidt, Philip Kidd, or Tenzing, can we not look at every case that these officers dealt with and anybody who was ever arrested under these three officers, we need to take a look at their case. Remember when Annie Dukan was out here playing with the drugs and so everybody's case was compromised? Because of what she was doing in the lab. Can we not again adopt that same ideology. And say listen. We know for a fact we have you on body cam. Ready to lie. And put a man in jail. Had he been alive. But because he's dead. You're ready to go ahead and add to the story. Yeah that's absolutely true. If your body cam wasn't on you. We would have thought that this man was trying to do bodily harm to you. He reached for a gun. I felt threatened. Had we not had those body cams, uh, Samuel would be known as a criminal right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? These three officers, any man that's behind bars right now off of these three officers need to be taken out of jail immediately and put back with their families. And my heart bleeds because I the injustice that's been going on for years and years and years. And I'm thinking about all of the men that have been exonerated in the past year alone. I, I believe the stories that I've read, we've listened to together is in 15 to 18 stories. How do I know I went back and I looked at all of the tweets and retweets and posts? 15 to 18 men have been exonerated in 2015 for crimes that they did not commit that served over 15 to 20 years. Do you, are you with me this rising? Please let me know I'm not the only one. <sighs> A lot of mercy. How do you get, uh, how do you become president? You tell baby, you kiss babies um, and give children rides in your $7 million helicopter. Who do you think that is? Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely right. So Donald Trump has uh, a ridiculous helicopter, $7 million helicopter. Uh, he's using it on his campaign trip. And he is going to Iowa State Fair. And his slogan, his motto for this trip is, I'm giving free rides to kids on my helicopter. <laughs> 
This man is leading the polls and may become our president. If you do not go out and register yourself to vote. How do you do that? You can go to the Wake Up With Taylor Andre page. You can click on the link and register to vote online. Now, I did this yesterday because I'm not just going to tell you to do something. I'm going to go ahead and try to do it and see how it works for myself and, you know, pros, cons and what I like, dislike and come back and report. That's what I'm supposed to do. So I went to the website and one of the first questions that they ask you is, do you have a DMV ID? Yes or no? You press yes, you get to, you know, move along to get along. You press no, they tell you, oh, you can still fill out this application. Then you have to print it. And then after you print it, you got to take it to your local politician. Let's stop there. First and foremost, most of the people that don't have a DMV license, RMV license, a driver's license, an ID are the same people that cannot go to the library and print out a copy of XYZ because they don't have a library card. Why don't you have a library card? Because you need proper ID to walk into that government building and say, can I use your computers? They need something that has your address on it. What about all of the people that are homeless that do not have an address? Where do you print this stuff out? Hey, hi, uh, local check cashing place. Can you print this for me? No. So I thought it was really asinine. I contacted the um, voting and the voting board and I let them know this doesn't make sense. Maybe we can come up with a simpler solution where they can register online and whoever registers online, depending on who they're local senator, politician is, whoever their representative that they were supposed to bring that form to, that form then gets emailed to that representative for them to then print out or send to whatever database that they uh, have to enter it into. It, It doesn't make sense. If I don't have the proper ID to, if I don't have the proper ID what makes you think that I I can use my non-issued, non-proper, non-ID anywhere else to print this? And I'm just thinking like from the easiest, simplest solution, go to the library, print it out. Well, if I don't have a library card because I don't have a proper ID and that I can understand, overstand why the... What is it? The voter restrictions. Mm -hmm. I can see this now. And if we here in Massachusetts can make our online registration that complicated, could you imagine the non-online complications that take place in the South, in our southern states? I just, thinking outside of the box, baby, I'm I'm just thinking this isn't working at all. The White House backs Planned Parenthood. In face of horror videos, it claims, are the distorted work of extremists. What the hell? In the videos, anybody with a little bit of sense, anybody with a little bit of sense that saw the damn videos, what do you mean that this is the work of extremists? They're not extremists. They were talking about having government contracts in the video. Don't sit here and try to dumb me down. Don't sit here and try to lie to my face. It's not extremists. If that's the case, then our government is the extremist because they there were doctors who clearly said you can even go private 
or our government contracts. Don't believe me. I posted it on the uh, on the page. Watch it for yourself. Read it for yourself. Just like they said, that boy ran up in that church with the gun that he bought. Let's rewind to the beginning when they said that his parents bought it for him. You got to be mindful of what trickery is going on out here. And what you read, don't forget because it will get altered. It will get distorted. I read for two days that Bobby Christina was dead. Now, all of a sudden in August, uh, August 1st, we're just now burying her. I could have sworn back in what? May? April? For two days, I read that this baby was gone. And then all of a sudden, reports switched up. You got to be mindful of what's going on around you. White House accused the group's critics of attempting to play politics with some sensitive, sensitively edited videos. No, <laughs> I don't care how edited it was. I don't care if they chopped and screwed it. The fact that they chopped and screwed them babies' bodies and sold them is what needs to be discussed. We don't need to discuss the extreme, what extreme ways that were taken in order to get that video. That needs to not be discussed. We don't need to sit here and say that the doctors that are all over the country, when the executive director is discussing this on tape, you're saying that only the executive director is corrupt. Only the doctors in certain states are corrupt. Only certain people are extremists. No, there's everybody making money off of this. When it was a net, when the national executive director is having a conversation about this, it's socially acceptable in that field. Period. Just like we know the whole insider trading, we're going to pretend like, you know, we don't know anything. Bankers are ending up dead. Don't believe me. Read. Find out how many bankers died this year. You want to go back to another quote unquote conspiracy? How many natural health doctors died in four weeks? Remember the five doctors that died in four weeks and the other five doctors that are missing? Don't forget how, how soon we forget, darling. Do not forget of the stories that I read in the past. They are not in vain. Everything connects. There are no coincidences. Pay attention to what's going on around you. There are ample reasons to think that this is merely the tried and true tactic that we've seen from some extremists on the right to edit this video. Planned Parenthood appears to be living up to the highest ethical standards as it pertains to the way it obtains the fetal body parts to sell to medical researchers. The president spokesman said, let me stop, let me rewind and let me give that to you one more time. Planned Parenthood appears to be, in quotes, living up to the highest ethical standard as it pertains to the way it obtains the fetal body parts it sells to medical researchers. The president spokesman said there's so many problems with this statement. First and foremost, Planned Parenthood appears mm, appearing that's subjective uh, to be living to the highest ethical standard. I'm sorry. I have never heard a woman say that she signed over the rights to whatever. After I is, have this abortion, I, maybe I need to get an abortion contract. Maybe I need to read the abortion contract because maybe because, you know, the bold print giveth and the fine print take it away. So maybe just maybe in that fine print, it states that after this abortion, we are free to do whatever it is that we want to do with your fetal body, fetal body parts. Henrietta Lacks. Remember, they used Henrietta Lacks cells without her permission. Now the family is bankrolling. Years later, uh, actually, I'm lying because the family is still fighting. Even after this took place, 
years ago. I've read the book. Forgive me if I forgot it. Um, when it happened, Henrietta Lacks. Where my um Henrietta Lacks. Where my college students at? While I'm looking this up, I want to give a huge shout out to those that just passed the bar. Thank you, baby. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I'm so proud of you. Uh, Henrietta Lacks, August 1st, 1920 to August 4th, 1951. Um, so the family was fighting. I was correct in my mind. The family has been fighting for the past uh, 62 years. And they're saying, like, we can't. We can't take this anymore. They have yet to win, actually like win, physically win, monetarily win the case. Now, does everybody know that Henrietta Lacks's um, cells were used illegally? Yes, but the family still hasn't received the compensation that they've been fighting for for 62 years. I'm wondering if we can get a class action, action suit against Planned Parenthood for every woman that has ever had her cells illegally used. One of the listeners commented on the Facebook page saying, Taylor, a lot of women don't want to even revisit the fact that they had an abortion, let alone admit the fact that, yes, my cells were used illegally. This may cause more damage than good, even though your heart is in the right place. I mean, well, because apparently Planned Parenthood and the United States government, the White House, clearly doesn't mean mean well. For you, when the government's saying, oh, these up to the highest stand ethical standard. Are you serious? Did you see the video? Did you watch the same video I watched? Sick. It's sick. I'm sorry. The stories, um, the stories I read yesterday, I have made me sick for the past two days. Yesterday and today. Because I just can't believe that this is happening and nobody is paying any attention. Courts block anti-abortion group from releasing new Planned Parenthood sting videos. Why? Why would the United States government say, listen, don't come out with any more discriminating fit footage of this organization? You want to know why? Because the government is directly connected to this organization. Because they're backed by them. That $500 million, remember, call your senator. Call your senator and ask them, hi, good rising. Can you tell me whether or not you are going to support ripping that $500 million from Planned Parenthood? That $500 million, they don't need it from the federal government. You want to know why? Because they made it off them dead babies. Please don't. Please, call your politicians. Because that's the only way we're going to get some real justice. A girl three shot dead by her seven-year-old brother as he was playing with a loaded gun. Dallas Cox died in Washington, D.C. hospital during emergency surgery. Relatives say her brother did not know the gun he found in a bag was loaded when he pulled the trigger. First and foremost, seven and three, these children aren't able to climb up on uh, closets, uh, the top shelf of the closet. If you are going to... If anybody can hear my voice, I know not all of us have the ability, have <clears throat> the whatever. Some of us have guns. Let's just be honest. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. Some of us have guns. Some of us have them illegally. If you have them in the home of the child, can you please be more mindful? Because you are not the only one. 
You are not the only one in that house. You are not the only one that has curiosity. Curiosity killed the cat, but in this case, it's killing babies. Do your due diligence and put it up. Do what you have to do and uh, buy a safe. There's solutions to every problem. Let's focus on some solutions. You have to be more mindful of these children. Every child wants to play with a gun. It's cops and robbers. It's the number one game you learn as a child. Just be more mindful, please, baby, please. I read earlier this week that we hit the 100th anniversary of the occupation of the United States in Haiti. I told you about the documentary that was coming out. We spoke uh, a few weeks ago about the Kickstarter that I was campaigning for, uh, for Forgotten Occupation. The documentary by uh, Alan Martin, uh, Haitian, who did a, a documentary on the Forgotten Occupation of America uh, 17 years in Haiti. That film artist is on the line right now so I know everybody hates me you guys are so upset with me but I have to ruin Freaky Friday so we can get some knowledge on this beautiful rising good rising how are you Alan uh good morning Tyler I'm sorry that I have to ruin Freaky Friday for the listeners I apologize that's perfectly fine we need to get some knowledge in us (laughs) yeah definitely so, um, without any further ado, let's just jump in. Power Hour, Good Rising, Good Rising, Big City, 101.3 FM. Waking up with Taylor Andre. Uh, Alan Martin, wonderful yes. documentary. The little clip that you sent me uh, gave me goosebumps. Uh, I had the chills running up and down my spine. My stomach turned wow. with disgust. My heart cried out for all, every victim every family right. member, and even speaking of today, our family members that are suffering at the hands of what happened over 100 years ago, because that right. trickles right. down. And one of the things that enraged me was, really, one of the things that enraged me was probably the first scene of the trailer when it, they stated how U.S. soldiers walked into a Haitian bank and stole gold bars. Right. You're not going to read that in a history book. Definitely not. Definitely Mm. not. So please give the listeners a a brief synopsis who you are and why this project was so important for you to just go ahead and jump in and say, listen, this needs this story needs to be told. Okay. well, again, thank you for the platform, Tyler. Uh, My name is Alan Martin. Um, I'm hoping by now lots of your listeners have seen uh, our trailer for the Forgotten Occupation. Uh, I'm from Haiti. I grew up in the south uh, in a town called Jacmel, right? Jacmel has gotten quite popular lately. It's been featured on CNN as one of the, as one of the top seven travel destinations in the Caribbean. I'm not too sure if that's quite a good thing. But anyway, that's where I'm from, you know. Haiti has a strong tradition of oral storytelling, you know. I grew up with the kids in the neighborhood because, you know, back then, there were maybe only two or three people in the street who had a television. My family was one of them. So we didn't really grow up in front of television like the generation of today is, you know. We basically sat outside and we told each other stories about 
the boogeyman and monsters and walking rainbows and such. So I come from a background, a strong background of storytelling. Well, that's always been my thing. Um, in 93, actually in 1991, I believe, or 90, yeah, 91, the first democratically elected president of Haiti, was overthrown by the military. That was by Papa Bush, you know, the first George Bush. When Bill Clinton came into office in 93 or 92, it might have been, you know, he reinstated Aristide back in power. But before he did that, he, he imposed a, a military, I mean, a, an embargo on the on, on Haiti, trying to get Aristide back. So um, I was here on vacation when that embargo was placed, so I kind of got stuck in the U.S. I was only here for on vacation. But because of the embargo, I couldn't fly back to Haiti. And so that's how New York became my permanent home. And, you know, I went to high school, and I went to William Patterson University, where I studied communications and film. So that's pretty much it for me in terms of background. Now, in terms of the U.S. occupation of Haiti, right, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's, uh, it's a little ironic. Well, I'm not ironic, but it's a good coincidence that this film is coming out this year because, you know, we're in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And of course. Really, when I was younger, I learned about the U.S. occupation maybe when I was 22, 23, because I didn't stand Haiti long enough to go to high school to learn about Haitian history itself. So it's when I came to the United States that I learned about the the occupation of Haiti, right? And back then, as a, young, as a youngster, I didn't really have any understandings of of politics, you know, of, of history, you know. So the, the 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 thing that really put my attention is this whole idea of Black Lives Matter. So when I was reading about the occupation then, again, the thing that stood out to me is how these Americans went to Haiti and were just basically killing human beings at will. They were basically killing human beings for fun, right? And James Weldon Johnson, who's an African-American activist from the NAACP, went to Haiti and he interviewed a couple of Marines, and he said it in his, in his essay that, wow, you know, a lot of things that Haitians find cruel, the United States Marines found funny, right? And we also have to remember in 1916, you know, the 1920s and 1930s, the United States itself was a very segregated country, right? So we're talking about we had a lynching in the United States. So we're talking about men who come from that tradition of segregation, that tradition of racism, that tradition of lynching human beings as a ritual, right? Because you got to remember, when they lynched people in the U.S., it wasn't just lynching for the sake of lynching. It was also about they made it a family event, right? They'll bring the kids, they'll bring the, the brothers, and after the person was lynched, they'll cut the body into pieces and sell the pieces. You know, I mean, I read somewhere that a piece of bone from a lynch person who was selling the market for $500, right? So this is the kind of mentality that's going into Haiti, right? Now, Haiti at the time, not too many people know about it. It's a little isolated island in the world, right? It's not getting too much media attention. You know, in the U.S., despite how segregated it is, you know, you do something, you kill a black person. You know, you had the NAACP, you had W.B. Dubois, you had Marcus Garvey raising hell, right? Whereas in Haiti, there was really no one there to raise hell. So the Marines were in Haiti. They were basically isolated. They were living in these little towns, and they had free reign to do whatever 
they wanted to do, right? So we're talking about lynching. We're talking about burying people alive, okay? We're talking about forced labor, right? Because the Americans needed to build an infrastructure for Haiti to become, you know, what the, what the Dominican Republic is today. That's what they wanted Haiti to be at the time, right? And to do that, we need infrastructure. And there was no money to build the infrastructure. So what they do is they force people to work. There was a particular Marine whose name was Captain Lavoie, right? And his deal was he'll make people work. He'll pay them a meager salary. But the way he paid them, he'll have a bucket. He'll have water in the bucket. And he'll drop coins in the bucket. And But the bucket itself, that water, had electricity on it. So when the workers came to retrieve their coins from the bucket, they'll be electrocuted. And he thought that was funny. Are you right? serious? I'm time, sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry. I used that. That's is that documented anywhere? Yeah. Can we read that somewhere? Yeah, yeah definitely. If it's probably going to be lengthy, but if you go, if you put in on Google, um, Senate inquiry on the United States occupation of Haiti, right? It's about a thousand pages long. It's basically when the United States went to Haiti, when the, when, when Senator McCormick went to Haiti to investigate the occupation. And a lot of the United States Marines were subpoenaed, and a lot of Haitians were interviewed, and that's basically what they were saying, right? So these are some of the stories that were coming out. So you can read these things for yourself online on the, on the, on the, on the Senate inquiry of Haiti, right? It's a thousand pages. It's a, it's a very long read, but it's well worth it, right? And the historian, Wuzhe Gayar, who is the foremost historian on the occupation of Haiti, he also documents that very story that I'm telling you, right? So that's what you were dealing with. And so this is the thing, again, before the politics, you know, that's really the thing that connected me to the story. That's the story I wanted to tell. I kind of felt like, you know, these human beings, they came, they went, they suffered, they died, and no one ever told their stories, and their stories never got out. That's the reason why I was compelled to make this film. I am so glad you did. There's so many stories, such as the uh, forgotten occupation, that have yet to be told. Uh, we did have a caller on the line while you were speaking, 617-282-0062. We are on the line with Alan Martin. Alan Martin is the producer, the creator of The Forgotten Occupation, the documentary that I was talking about a, a few weeks ago, the documentary that I've been posting online about what's going on in Haiti and DR right now. We can go ahead and, and look at our history through The Forgotten Occupation and see where this problem stems from. Uh, Alan, I'm going to ask you to, you know, kind of elaborate and break that down for us, for us to understand how the Forgotten Occupation, the documentary, has everything to do with what's going on in DR and Haiti right now. We do have a call on the line. If you have any questions, comments, uh, you want to add anything to the conversation, again, 617-282-0062, or you can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and remain anonymous, T-A-Y-L. A A N D R E. Good rising, Kali. You're live. Yeah. Good morning. How are you? Super fantastic. Um, is that why they have um, barbecues on Fourth of July, and that's why um, they, you know, celebrate Fourth of July and talking about that they have a barbecue to make us feel good. That's why they named it barbecue. Thank you. That's all I want to know. Thank you. Alan, do you do you want to comment yeah. on that? Uh, well, you know, again, 
So, you know, I think when it comes to 4th of July, we all know how um, it's a bit contradictory, right? I mean, African-Americans spent about two centuries in slavery, right? July 4th was almost a slap in the face for them, right? So, yeah, I do think just the kind of building what the caller is saying, we, kind of, we just have to kind of be mindful, right? I mean, there's a great essay written by Frederick Douglass on the absolute meaninglessness of July 4th, you know, when it comes to African-Americans, you know. And to answer your question from earlier on, Tyler, about what's going on in the Dominican Republic, how we can tie it to that forgotten occupation, well, you know, basically, let's not remember that, you know, the United States at the time, and when I say United States, you know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the United States government, right? So the United States government at the time had what you called the Monroe Doctrine, Basically, the Monroe Doctrine says that America is for the Americans, right? There'll be no more Europeans going into Latin America and the Caribbean countries and exerting influence in these countries anymore. So the United States occupied Haiti. It occupied the Dominican Republic. It occupied Cuba. It also occupied um, parts of Mexico at one point. You know, it went to Panama, as you know, for the Panama Canal. It went down to Nicaragua. So when they got to these countries, right, and I'm I'm paraphrasing one of the person who interviews um George Gibson was a historian out in Port-au-Prince. When they got to these countries, these countries already had modern sugar industries, right? Haiti itself didn't have a sugar industry because the Haitians made sure that the sugar industry was destroyed during the Haitian during the Haitian Revolution by a hundred years before, right? Because they didn't want to go back to slavery. So and they thought one of the sugar stories to do that. Is basically destroyed the sugar industry. So when the Americans got to Haiti, they, f- they didn't find a sugar industry, so they thought what's best to do is to send Haitians to the Dominican Republic, send Haitians to Cuba, so they could work on the sugar industries in those countries, right? So the United States of America, while they were in Haiti, enacted a, forced po- a policy of forced immigration, right? Basically, they were kidnapping Haitians and forcing them to go work in other countries. That was policy, okay? And you can imagine the devastation that had on a family life because, you know, in those days on the countryside and in an in a, in a agrarian society, you need the male around to sort of cultivate the land. So with the dearth of Haitians living in the countryside and going to other countries, you get into the process of many women who couldn't make a living, couldn't provide for their kids, so they had to, you know, basically careen into prostitution with the American Marines. But the other side of it is what we have to remember. What's going on in DR now? The people that the Dominican Republic are kicking out, these are the ancestors that the Americans forced to go, forced to go to the, to the Dominican Republic to go work on sugar plantations. Because if you look at the law in the Dominican Republic, it's a retroactive law, right? It's going as far back. It was 1929, right? And that's during the United States occupation. And that's when the Americans were forcing people to go to DR to work. And let's also not forget, speaking of DR, you know, in and, and, and Latin America and in the Caribbean, you have this anti-black philosophy. Even if you, you even find it in Haiti, right? You have this, this segment of the population that's extremely anti-black even though most Dominicans are black people, right? So, well, one of the theories put forward was that 
during, in, in 1937, I'm not sure if your, your listeners are aware, President Trujillo, right, who was backed by the United States, slaughtered about 37,000 Haitians, I mean, 30,000 Haitians, right? And the idea was that he wanted to basically whiteify the country, right? I mean, it was the policy of Trujillo during World War II to have the, the Jews, Jews who were refugees from, from Europe, to come into the Dominican Republic. The idea was that we get the Jews to mix up with the Dominicans in a couple of years, you know, the Dominicans would be a white population. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that, that's how we relate that occupation to Haiti. People have to remember those people being kicked out of Haiti, out of the Dominican Republic now, are people that the Americans forced to go to the Dominican Republic to work on sugar plantations. Why is it that here now today, uh, July 31st, 2015, are we finding out this information uh, via via uh, a documentary through you and not overstanding this on a national level and having this broken down on mainstream media and, and right. making it seem as if it's the Dominicans are doing this and they they are these evil people that just hate black people, that just hate Haitian and Haitian lives don't matter. Like, why isn't this a, a grander conversation on a national scale that is giving out the truth and the history of what happened and why we are here at this very moment today? Right. I mean, that's a great question. You know, I mean, you know, the mainstream media... Is, is in line, I guess, you know, with... They have different priorities, if I can say, you know? What, uh, and when you talk about the mainstream media, right? I mean, one thing I've realized with, with America and nationalism, not just in America, I've noticed this in England when I was in England, I noticed this in France when I was in France, is nationalism is like religion. Nationalism is like, it's like a ritual, right? There are certain things that you have to believe in, and one of the things you must believe in, you can never criticize America. You can never point out the things that the American government has done that's not right, you know? Um, so, of course, in the mainstream media, you're not going to find an outlet in which they're talking about the American occupation of Haiti and how it has contributed to what's going on in the Dominican Republic now, you know? And again, when we talk about mainstream media, we're not really talking about information, useful information. We're talking about uh, an entity that's there simply to make millions and millions of dollars, right? So in the end, it's what sells. And the story of what's going on between Haiti and the DR is not a sellable story for mainstream media, right? And uh, most Americans themselves are not interested, right? We want to know what Justin Bieber is doing or what, you know, if Beyonce is pregnant a second time. That, that's, uh, that's our thing in America. So it, it it goes both ways, right? It's just it's 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 the mainstream media, and it's also the the consumers of mainstream media. And until that mindset changes, until we have a paradigm shift, you know, it's gonna stay the same. It's gonna be up to people like you and me to basically, you know, tell it like it is. Well, I know, um, Alan, that you were not, you know, living in those times, but I'm hoping that maybe your research in order to conclude this documentary has given you some understanding on um, Haiti's ability, their revolution. When they were able to say, listen, you are not going to run us. You're not going to control us. You who colonized us are not the, the rulers of us. 
get out of our country and Haiti overcame um, was the first country to ever overcome colonialism. Can you explain how like how do you go from kicking out those that enslaved you to being enslaved once again? Right. You know, I'm happy you 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 asked me that question because there's a great irony in the fact that after the 1804 revolution, when France, when Napoleon and the French were kicked out of Haiti, <clears throat> so Henri Christophe, right, who called himself King of Haiti, was very afraid of the idea that the foreigners might come back and enslave Haiti again. So Henri Christophe built what you call the Palais Saint Souci, right? It's basically it's considered uh, 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 it's a world it's a world heritage site now in Haiti, right? It's an okap, and it's basically 365 doors. Each door is complete with a cannon overlooking the ocean, in case the Americans were coming back, or in case anyone was coming back, the French particularly, to basically start blowing them away, right? And to do this. You know, ironically, Christophe had to resort to forced labor, right? About 20,000 Haitians were forced, were, were, were killed building the Palais Saint-Souci because they were supposed to protect Haiti from uncommon slavery again. Yet, in 1915, the Americans came back and there was very much, there was very little the Haitians were able to do. And this, the blame, the Haitians must take the blame, right? Because after 1804, um, Haitians invested very little in upkeeping the army, right? I mean, I was reading this book, and the, and the writer was talking about basically the army was shoeless. They had no shoes. They were wearing raggedy clothes, right? So Haiti's army never evolved. And when we interviewed historian Wichita Sifer, he basically said, you know, Haiti's army remained an army of swords and carbines, right? So they couldn't face an invader that had evolved, that had the best army in the world in 1915, which was 100 years after the revolution. And we also have to understand, right, the Haitian bourgeoisie, at least a, 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 a part of it, always wanted Americans to come to Haiti to occupy Haiti. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's letters that have been, that's, that's been written since 1909 where members of, of, of the Haitian political class, members of the Haitian bourgeoisie, are asking the United States to come to Haiti to occupy the country. And, you know, why is that? Well, it's because now we're talking about, you know, we're talk, when, when we're talking about wealth, when we're talking about capital, there's no such thing as nationalism, even in this country, right? When it comes to making money, when it comes to wealth, is whatever we have to do, that's what we have to do. And the Haitian bourgeoisie felt like if we didn't get the Americans to come to Haiti and stabilize the country, whatever that means, right, then this will be an opportunity for us to multiply the wealth that we have. So that's that's that, that that's what happened with the occupation. So one of the things that you said earlier in our conversation was um, the place that you grew up, your hometown in Haiti, is now you know this flourishing place where the number one hottest destination in the Caribbean to to visit. Right. But yet we just learned that the Red Cross stole billions of dollars and built six houses. We just found out right. that there's still people suffering from cholera. 
We just found out right. that there's people that still haven't been able to rebuild their home that was destroyed in the earthquake. But it's the number one hottest spot in the Caribbean for you to vacation. Right, right. And, you know, again, I'm glad to work the Red Cross because, you know, the Red Cross went to Haiti and the first time it set up an office in Haiti was during the U.S. occupation. You know what I'm saying? So, again, you have another time. Now, 100 years later, the Red Cross, you know, it's given $6 billion to improve lives, to improve the country. Again, I don't even know what that means, but they only build six homes with that, right? To me, that's, that's just insulting, you know? It's insulting. And the fact that it's not a big deal in mainstream media is, is, is just, it's, it's phenomenal, you know? I mean, <clears throat> you're given $6 billion, and yet you only build one of the six homes. And when you, when you read the report, it goes even further, right? I mean, some of the opinions the people in the Red Cross held about the Haitians in Haiti, or should I say hold about the Haitians in Haiti, that they're lazy, they don't really want to work, right? that's the same opinion the Americans held about the Haitians while they were in Haiti during the occupation, you know? So it's the same. So the parallel is striking. About 100 years later, you're still getting the same kind of attitude towards Haitian, this paternalism that, you know, we know better than you do. Although we're not from your country, we don't speak your language, we know nothing about your culture and your history, but we can tell you how to live your life. We can tell you how to make your country better, right? And it's so arrogant, it's, it's fascinating to me. Is that not and just to what... go back on Jacques Mel, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, continue. Yeah, and just to go back to my hometown of Jacques Mel, again, this is what these things do, right? <clears throat> you, go to these, you go to these places, you kick people off from their lands, and you build resorts, and you build hotels. So, yeah, Jacques Mel was at one point the seventh, the number seven destination in the entire Caribbean, but we have to ask ourselves at what cost, right? When you're building resorts or building hotels and building these flourishing businesses, what, you, what they're not saying is for that to happen, you're kicking so many people off their land, right? And for all that stuff that's going on in Jack Mel, right, the majority of the population is unemployed, you know? So. Woosa, woosa, because I, I feel, I'm feeling defeated again. I'm feeling like we got one of those problems that needs to be solved and no one's paying attention. We do have a caller on the uh, line. Uh, good rising, caller, you're live. Oh, good rising. Talk to me, talk to me. Okay, that's me on. All right, cool. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, my sister. I have to say I love you, Taylor. My goodness, I love you, girl. too, baby. I love yeah, you, girl, too. You, you boy, you brought the man, the man, the brother, man. Oh my goodness, man. You know, I'm Haitian American. I was born in New York. And for a long time, I've, I've been trying to get like the history of Haiti, like the book in like English, you know what I'm saying? Because I can, so I can fully understand, you know? Okay. But, oh, man, I hear you, man. I have I just have to say, yeah, uh, man, 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 it's just so much, it's so much, and I definitely want to know the name of the documentary, and um, no, I'm at work right now. It's called The Forgotten Occupation. Oh, you know what? I I'm at work, right? So I'm just going to hang up, and uh, if you can give me a documentary, Facebook, whatever, okay? But I'm not going to hang up, but thank you, God bless you. I'm, oh, my goodness, man, I'm loving you today. Peace, peace. 
I love it. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, Shout out to the caller. That is one of uh, our frequent callers. I did not know he was Haitian. So uh, there you go. Now I know knowing to have to battle Uh, the documentary, what we're discussing this morning, what, you know, we ruined Freaky Friday. I apologize. You guys are so mad at me, but I do want you to get this information. The forgotten occupation, the occupation. Alan, I'm not going to go ahead and do it. I'll let you do the sales pitch. Oh, thank you, guys. Well, guys, the documentary is called The Forgotten Occupation. Basically, we've been getting a lot of hits, you know, from the media. So if you could just go on Google, you put The Forgotten Occupation, you'll see a lot of hits. So we're on Facebook. You know, it's The Forgotten Occupation on Facebook. Our website is called TheForgottenOccupation.com, you know. And since I'm on the radio, which entire I have access to, to quite a few listeners. Uh, we want everyone to know we have a Kickstarter campaign going on. That campaign is going to end today at about 4 p.m. So as I'm speaking, I believe there's about 17 hours or 16 hours left. Right? Uh, we wanted to raise about $20,000. We already made that goal. So now we're trying to end it at $25,000. So we have $635 left to raise to get to $25,000. So I'll encourage all your listeners who love what they're hearing, who's interested in Haiti's history, to go and donate whatever they can, man. Five bucks, 10 bucks, 15 doesn't matter. Could you do something for me? Could you say that yes, in uh, Creole? Okay. Donc tout le monde là qui a fait des radios, nous gagnons un documentaire qu'on a fait qui relait de forgotten occupation, son documentaire sur l'histoire et tout histoire occupation américaine haïtien, OK? Donc et sur notre website noir de forgottenoccupation.com, on donne information sur Facebook tout, sur mettre de forgotten occupation, on donne information et nous bon élevage et d'argent à faire pour nous finir ce moment. Nous avons besoin de 20 000 dollars. Nous devons arriver à 20 000 dollars. Nous avons besoin de faire 25 000 dollars. La campagne n'a pas fini aujourd'hui à 4h30. Nous avons 16h de temps pour nous arriver à 25 000. Nous avons 24 365. Nous avons besoin de 635 dollars encore pour nous arriver à 25. Donc, n'importe quoi qu'on a fait, soit dans Kickstarter ou mettre de Fogar en occupation, nous avons besoin de l'argent pour nous arriver à Donc, n'importe quoi qu'on a I love it. I love it. I wanted to make sure people know that this is real. This is authentic. Right, I wanted right, them right. to know in their own language how they could go ahead. Because you know, sometimes you explain something to mommy, she doesn't get it. You have to then translate yeah, it for yeah, her. She's yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. So I, I wanted to, to make sure everybody was well aware. Um, I recently learned nine hours ago that Boston's NPR station did a write-up and included your trailer. Right, right. I'm very happy they did. I wish they would, I wish they would have reached out to us so it could be part of the conversation. But listen, whatever little publicity we get, we appreciate. So let me ask you a question. Do yeah. you feel, because I feel this way, I feel a little disrespected, don't, don't do a write-up, include the trailer, and not include me, the one who created right. this trailer. But also, right. don't sit here and piggyback off my efforts when you, with all the resources that you have, didn't need a Kickstarter, could have done this on your own. They could have went ahead and found this information. NPR could have created their own documentary with the resources that right. they have access to. Don't piggyback right. off my Indeed. efforts. Do you feel like... Do you feel a, a, a disregard or even a, a, I wish you could see the face that I'm making. Like, do you feel some type of way that it had to be you, Alan Martin, in 2015 to bring this information to the forefront? 
Well, I'm not gonna say it has to be me, but I did feel a little, you know, I did feel a little slighted. But I got over it really quick once I told myself, listen, at least they got the trail on the website. There's access to more uh, to, to to a wider audience. But yes, I did feel at least I should have been included in the conversation if they have the trailer on a website. You know, I would have been I would have loved to speak with Professor Robert Fan, who I really admire, who also writes a lot about the occupation of Haiti. You know, it was it was unfortunate, but I got over it really quick. <laughs> he said, I got over it really quick. I saw how many hits it was getting. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan, we do have another caller on the line, 617-282-0062. We're on the line with Alan Martin, uh, Haitian Lives Matter. Where did this DR Haiti, where, where does this stem from? It stemmed from this conversation right here, the forgotten occupation, the occupation of American soldiers on Haitian land. Uh, we're speaking with the director of uh, Forgotten Occupation. If you have any questions you want to add to the conversation, again, that number is 617-282-0062. Good co- rising, Kali. You're live. Good rising. I, I finally was able to call uh, without no disturbance. Wow. Go ahead. We're listening. Okay. My, my my question is, um, oh my goodness, this this man Alan Martin got me shaking over here. My soul is shaking because for so long I've been trying to to get the full history of my country. You know what I'm saying? Oh my goodness. But uh, my question was, because uh, um, I heard there was a time in Haiti that some president sent off to kill mulattoes or mixed people, mixed you know, mixed uh, people. I don't know what was going on, but if you could fill me in with a little more of that era, what was going on or something like that. Okay. Tyler, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't really hear a question. Can you phrase it for I apologize. He said that, uh, thank you. He loves you. He appreciates you. Um, thank you. Thank you. To be able to get this information, he's unable to get this anywhere else. Unless you know the language, you can't read the book. Uh, can you break down for him, uh, the, the myth that he's heard about a president sending soldiers out to kill mulatto people. Right. I believe if I'm not mistaken, let me just make it clear. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I know quite much about Haitian history, but I'm not that much of a, I wouldn't call myself a scholar, but I believe the president he's talking about is Fustin Suluk. You know, he called himself Emperor Fustin Suluk. I'm going to tell you a funny story about Fustin Suluk, right? When he was just an aide, right, inside the, 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 the National Palace, and President Boyer, President Boyer, who was a mulatto, and Fustin Suluk was, uh, was black. And, you know, I don't need to tell you that, you know, in Haiti, even to this day, but particularly back then, two centuries back, ideas of colorism, you know, being light-skinned and dark-skinned, you know, it, it's, it really took over the conversation, right? Um, Haitians looked down even dark-skinned Haitians, you know, the mulatto Haitians felt themselves closer to France, and the darker-skinned Haitians themselves felt that, you know, they had to marry someone light so their kids can come out looking light-skinned and stuff like that. But anyway, so Fustin Saluk was a dark-skinned president, and he didn't even know how to read and write, and he was an aide inside the National Palace, and President Boyer was mad about something, right? And he's like, um, I can't believe this country. Anything can happen in this country. I bet you... I bet you one day anyone can be president, including this Negro sitting over there. This Negro he was talking about was Fustin Suluk, his aide. And guess what? <laughs> a couple of years later, Fustin Suluk does become president of Haiti, right? And there were certain black 
rank and file generals in Haiti who always felt like they were being held back by the mulattoes of the country, like that they held the political power, that they held the capital, right? So these people needed to be eliminated. Particularly, the, 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 the mulattoes were always blamed, at least in some circles, for the assassination of Jean-Jacques de Salin, right? So Fustin Souluk, basically, I believe he held a party. It wasn't a party. I believe he held a, some sort of, well, he was giving a speech, and he invited members of the bourgeoisie to come there. And then while they were there, they were basically attacked and slaughtered that day. I believe 60 of them were, were killed. Yeah, that's what the caller is talking about. Thank you for that. You know what? I, I, I feel like, let me just ask you this. Is there anything mm-hmm. else about Haitian history that we can learn from you, this rising, that we can't get anywhere else uh, that is outside of the forgotten um occupation because i i myself am learning so much this rising for a haitian american to call in and say listen i never knew this i've been searching for this my whole life you're giving me some comfort that i never had before i want to i want to continue to give comfort to those that are wondering about their country that have questions about their country is there anything that you can tell them uh that they're not gonna find in a book they're not going to find in their now native tongue of English. I hear you. Well, yeah, well, I have so many things I can say, but I'll share this, right? If you pay attention to all the places the United States of America occupied, the uh, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Mexico, Panama, Nicaragua, and Haiti, Haiti, Haiti is the only country that does not play baseball. Right? Think about that. So all these countries America went and occupied, they left a legacy of baseball, right? particularly in the Dominican Republic. Haitians are the only country that was occupied by the U.S. that does not play baseball. So this tells us that the United States occupation of Haiti was a failure, right? And another thing I'd like for people to, to get to take away from this is, you know, when people are going in the Caribbean, whatever, they're going to the Dominican Republic or they're going to these other islands, because they become touristic destinations, and nobody mentions Haiti as a touristic destination. That's something we have to be proud of, right? Because Haiti has never become a touristic destination because Haiti has stood up and resisted these changes the Americans were trying to bring there. You see what I'm saying? They wanted Haiti to be like Cuba at one point. They wanted Haiti to be like VR, where you know you build massive and massive, massive resorts or massive resorts for people to come in and have a good time while the people are starving, right? I mean, look at Jamaica. I, mean, I love my Jamaican brothers and sisters, and, you know, it's, it's a popular destination for tourists, but what, what is that tourism doing for the poor people in Kingston? not doing much. They're still struggling, right? They're living in abject poverty, right? So that's one thing I want us to take away from, uh, you know, is that, you know, Haiti's not a touristic destination. The current government in Haiti is trying to turn it into a touristic destination, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton are trying to turn it into a touristic destination, and that's not a good thing. It's not something that shouldn't happen, okay? <clears throat> so, then, go ahead. I'm sorry, Alan. Excuse me. <clears throat> go ahead. Continue. Right, go ahead. I didn't mean mm-hmm. to. Uh, right. So, so um, another thing I'd like to mention is that this idea of Haiti being the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, man, I hear it with a passion when people say that because our idea of poverty is based 
on our concept of life here in the West, here in America. Right? We think if someone is not living in an air-conditioned house, not driving in a Honda Civic that he's financing for $500 a month, which he can't even afford, if he doesn't have HBO Go, if he doesn't have an iPhone, we practically classify such person as a poor person, right? And me, I wholeheartedly disagree with that philosophy, man. So, for the most part, you know, in the countryside, the Haitians live on their land, right? They they plant, they, they, you know, they, they they plant their crops. They live off those crops, and that's how they live. And they shouldn't be called poor. And in terms of poverty, you know, we also have to look at the fact that when the American occupation went to Haiti, right? For, 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 for the occupation to do the things it needed to do, it had to seize so much land from the peasants, from the locals, to give to corporations like the like Hasco, like the the Haitian American Pineapple Company, right? Or like Dywood of Boston or the National Railroad of Haiti, which were owned by Americans. For these companies to 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 establish themselves, they needed access to land. So so much land was taken away from Haitians. So when people are complaining why there's so many people in public lands, well, that's because these people, a lot of them lost their land during the U.S. occupation, so they could no longer make a living on their land. They have to immigrate to Port-au-Prince to earn a living, right? And one last thing I'll say about this question, right? And and during the earthquake, right, and I'm paraphrasing historian, historian which is pretty fair, during the earthquake in Haiti, about 300,000 people died, right? And they died not because of the earthquake per se. They died because of those big houses that they that they, they built fell on them and killed them, right? <clears throat> but if you look at the old school houses in Haiti, right, I can't recall the names, but they wooden houses, right? If you look at those houses, none of them fell. So according to historian Roger Percy Flair, those big houses that fell on people and killed people in Haiti, those kind of houses were introduced in Haiti, by the United States occupation of Haiti, right? So there you go. You have something in which the Americans, you know, they introduce a kind, a, a sort of architectural lifestyle into the country, and that kind of architectural style killed mass amount of people, right? Whereas the old school way of building houses, which is the wooden houses, all those houses are still standing in the country. Not one of them fell. Probably said too much, but, you know. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm glad I asked that question. We do have a call on the line. We're on the line with Alan Martin, uh, Big City 101.3 FM, waking up with Taylor Andre. We're learning about the forgotten occupation, the occupation of the United States in Haiti over 100 years ago, 19 years in the country. Many atrocities uh, took place during that time. And we're learning about Haitian history that you would never get anywhere else. Alan, I want to thank you. Caller, you're live. Uh, good rising, Taylor, and uh, thank you so much and uh, for bringing this fellow to Big City to shed light on our, you know, Haitian culture, our Haitian history. And um, I'm just moved by it too. I did not know a lot of these things. You know, it takes one person sometimes to shed light into things that are behind closed doors that you're you're not fully aware of. You know, I came to this country like around. 1989. It's it's been it's been over years and years now, and I'm and I'm not sure I know too much about my country. And every now and then I try to dibble and dabble and just trying to you know go online, Google a few things, and uh, 
so I could know a few things. So I could pass on, pass it on to my nephew too as well. But um, at the same time too, I think that ever since Haiti won the independence, a lot of European country country held a big grudge on this little tiny little island packed with Africans, you know, that was mixed with the the Indians that was there as well, or they was wiped out, you know. You're absolutely correct, my good friend. You're absolutely correct. Thanks for the call. And I'm happy you, you know, you're learning a lot from us this morning. Um, yeah. You have to remember Haiti was the only country in the in the entire world, right? To basically defeat slavery. And it was the first black republic of the modern world. I mean, Jacques Dessalines did what Spartacus couldn't do, right? He defeated the ruling class. Okay? And when you think about it, throughout the entire world, slavery was the profit maker, right? Slavery made countries a lot of money. It made them really, really rich. And so for Haiti to have the audacity to defeat that institution, it made them really, really angry, right? So the United States, France, England, and Spain, none of them, none of them have diplomatic relations with Haiti. I mean, the United States didn't recognize Haiti as a free country until 1862, you know, uh, 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 during the Civil War, right? And most people might not know this, but the first American ambassador to Haiti was our very own Frederick Douglass, right? He was the first American ambassador to Haiti. And another thing, too, we have to remember that in 1825, right, the, the the former slave masters who lost all their wealth in the Haitian Revolution demanded that the Haitians pay them back in order for France to acknowledge Haiti as a free country, right? So I, although I disagree with President Boye for having done that, but I understand where he was coming from, he felt like he couldn't risk another war with France and have Haiti go back to slavery, especially when you look at the surrounding islands, Jamaica, Martinique, and Guadeloupe. There was still slavery there, right? So, President Boire decided to pay this indemnity to France, right? Basically, he decided to pay France so he could recognize independence. And Haiti spent a long time paying that debt to France, right? So, because of that, Haiti had very, very little money to invest in anything else, whether it be education, whether it be infrastructure, or whether it be sanitation or, or health, right? And then when the Americans come to Haiti in 1915, they buy that debt from France. So now Haiti owed America, particularly Citibank, right? Hold on, time and out, time out. Spend... I have a question. Mm -hmm. Is this after yes, they owe America even after America walked in and stole all their bars of gold? Yes, ma'am, that's correct. And right. did Haiti ever get those gold bars back, or did we just get six houses in return? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. Wow. So, you know, Haiti didn't finish paying the independence debt until 1952. So think about this, right? Haiti spent 127 years about paying for its independence. For 127 years, Haiti couldn't invest in its own progress because it had to pay foreigners for its independence, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's pretty it's pretty heartbreaking when you think about it. So when people want to know why Haiti's so backwards, a, a notion which I disagree with, right, 
But Haiti could have been much more. Haiti could have been better. It never got better. It never fulfilled its potential because it spent the bulk of its existence paying money to foreign bankers, the French bankers and then the American bankers for them to acknowledge its independence. Alan, how many times did your blood boil while researching for this film? Oh, man, you know, a lot of times, a lot of, many times, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I couldn't believe what I was going through. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, 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 um, it's, it's interesting how we're always saying Haiti's a co-op country. But I'll tell you this, right? Again, um, when the Americans are in Haiti, the Americans will hire an, an, uh, an engineer, an American engineer to come build a world. They'll, they'll give him, say, a million dollars, right? And then, he look at the budget, he sees there's more money, so he'll, he'll invite his other American friends to come to Haiti to come make money with him. So $1 million will become $4 million, right? I mean, the, Haiti was basically almost winning the lottery every day for, for a lot of people, right? It's this place where you came and you made money, right? I mean, James Weldon Johnson, who we talked about earlier, mentioned that, you know, the guy who was responsible for the education system in Haiti was a guy who was just a high school teacher in the Louisiana district. And the Louisiana district didn't even have any good schools, not even for white children, right? Yet this guy was stopped to go ahead the education system in Haiti, right? I mean, the kind of cronyism that was going on is, is, is a little insane, right? They had a coffee minister in Haiti, right? Listen to this, a coffee minister in Haiti, yeah. The very first time this guy ever saw a coffee tent in his life was when he went to Haiti. And yet he's a coffee minister. What? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you. So Haiti was kind of like the street for all. You come to Haiti, you make money, and you get out. You know what I'm saying? And then I can tell you about this other guy, Roger Farnham. Roger Farnham was the vice president of the National City Bank of New York. People should know that the National City Bank of New York is today's City Bank, right? And Citibank is the one that held Haiti's dual reserves. So Roger Farnham was the vice president. And Roger Farnham was also the president of the National Railroad of Haiti. Even though the railroad was completely dysfunctional, he never completed it. But he was still the president and demanded that the Haitian government pay him. So the American occupation forced the Haitian government to pay Roger Farnham. So Roger Farnham was making two incomes out of Haiti, right? His income from wait, the National Wait, wait, wait. Hate. <laughs> Rewind. Rewind. Yeah, I know. Re okay, I need you to start back when you said the National Citibank is today Citibank who was I need you to start back from there, please. Right. So basically, right, we have to understand we have to remember that in the end of the at the beginning of the twentieth century, Citibank had a lot of money, right? And they needed places to invest that money. And one of the places they looked into was Haiti. And for them to have better control of Haiti, better control of the country's finances, they wanted to own the Banque Nationale of Haiti 100%, right? And that's where the gold reserves come into question. Because when the Americans, when the Americans went into the National Bank of Haiti and took the gold reserves, they deposited the gold reserves into the vaults of the National City Bank of New York, right? And then by 1922, City Bank, own the Banque Nationale d'Haïti 100%, right? 
So this is where Citibank comes into the picture. Right? Citibank had a lot to do with the American occupation. Right? The Rockefellers and the Vanderbilt were basically telling the Wilson administration, we need to invade Haiti. And they did. They eventually did. So let me ask you a question. Does you yeah. do you and your family boycott Citibank today? Like do you advise other Haitian Americans not to bank with Citibank strictly because of the role they played in the occupation? Right. Well, I had an account with Citibank. I've since closed it down. You know what I'm saying? Um well I boycott big banks, period. You know, it's because again when you think about the war in Iraq and the roles they have to play in it. When you think about the, the economic crash in 2008, so me, I boycott all the big banks. I'll encourage everybody to just have a local bank to, to to do the banking transactions, you know. But, you know, I think Citibank should acknowledge the fact that it did take Haiti's gold 100 years ago and has never really paid it back to Haiti. You see what I'm saying? That should be an issue. That should be something we're talking about. Because right? like you were saying before, that's not something that's really known. So we've come all the way to the top of the hour. Alan Martin, the director, the producer of the documentary. Remember, we talk about documentaries, baby. If you've never seen a documentary in your life, I hope you go ahead and watch this one. The trailer is already up on the Wake Up With Taylor Andre page. It's on the Wake Up It's on the Taylor Andre page. It's on the Twitter page. Uh, any information that you need is on the Forgotten Occupation Facebook page, which is also linked on Taylor Andre, T-A-Y. L-A-A-N-D-R-E. Uh, Alan, can you please give our listeners all of your information, when they can expect to see the film, um, how long the film's going to be, where they can see the film, how they can purchase the film, how they can support you in these last coming hours of your Kickstarter. Um, go. Thank you. Yeah, my man. Well, uh, basically, the film will be out this year, right? And you know, we don't want to make a film that's just going to go straight to YouTube. You know, we have grander vision and grander plans. So the first thing we're going to do is, so the Kickstarter campaign ends today, and we'll get the money from Kickstarter in about three weeks. So after those three weeks, we're going to sit into post-production. We're going to edit the film, and that's going to take about maybe two months and a half. So the film should be out sometime in November, early December, right? But the, the, our first plan is to go into film festivals, right? We're hoping we're going to get into some some good film festivals, and I know we will, right, and get picked up for distribution. That's really the plan. Uh, we do have a plan in place for self-distribution if, if if we don't get picked up for distribution at film, fest- film festivals. And as, as of now, what I'll tell the listeners, you know, check our website for updates at theforgottenoccupation.com. That's our website, The Forgotten Occupation on Facebook. We'll be keeping you updated on the release of the film where we can see it. I can tell you, Taylor, that I do have plans on showing this film in major cities with large Haitian populations, New York, L.A., Miami, of course, you know, Boston. So your listeners will have a chance to see the film definitely in the coming year. Absolutely. And hopefully when you come to show the film here in Boston, we'll be able to have you in studio. Um, Oh, definitely. And I would love to have you in studio the night after the review Definitely. so everybody can give us a call and give us uh, their take on your baby. I'm so thankful. Oh. I'm so proud. Um, I want to thank Lori if she's listening uh, for this connection. Uh, Alan. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.
If you missed any of today's conversation with Alan Martin, if you want to find out more information on the Forgotten Occupation, head over to ForgottenOccupation.com. Head over to T-A-Y-L-A-A-N-D-R-E. You'll be able to find everything you need in order to contact Alan Martin to support this very uh, needed documentary for us to get a understanding, overstanding of what's going on in DR and Haiti today, you have to know your history. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And in order to gain that knowledge, you have to read. You have to educate yourself. You have to do your own due diligence. Don't believe me. Read. I love you. I appreciate you. I appreciate Alan Martin for calling in this rising. I appreciate you for continuously listening to all of this information I continuously throw at you and ruining your Freaky Friday. But I love you and I appreciate you. Uh, Tonight, I hope that you will join me. I don't go out often, but I am going out tonight. And if you are going to be out and about and you want to listen to some good music, you just want to relax, I don't like the party scene i really don't it's too much for me all the drinking and drunk people and ridiculous music i like to chill i like to relax but i love to dance i love to dance uh tonight i will be at international fridays uh july 31st which is today 49 social lounge 49 temple place dj buzzy is spinning the hottest in reggae afro beats in top 40 what am i going for i'm going for the afro beats hey i love my africans i love my west indians i love my people i'm going to listen to some good music have a good time with good people and i hope you will join me i don't go out often but a huge shout out to high voltage promotions for inviting me to international fridays again tonight i am going out please join me 49 social lounge 49 temple place i know there's no parking there so if you go ahead and download lyft and put in taylor referred me you'll go ahead and get you free 20 dollars to drop you off and then you're gonna have to pay to get picked up baby i'm sorry (laughs) big city 101.3 fm home of good music a whole lot of other things if you missed any of today's show head over to mixcloud.com today in 318 other shows are uploaded on Mixcloud for your listening pleasure. The conversation does not stop at 7 a.m. If you didn't know this information about Haiti, guess what? Your mother probably didn't. Your sister probably didn't. The co-worker probably didn't. The woman standing in the line and bank in front of you probably didn't. And remember, Citibank had a lot to do with the occupation of Haitian Americans by America. Uh, Haitians by America. I didn't know that. Now I know that. I was envious of people with Citibank because in order to have a Citibank account, you first have to have like a $5,000 minimum balance. (laughs) I was jealous of that. Now I am not. Now I know the truth. I know who Citibank is and how they deal and the things that they've done in their past to make them who they are today. Be mindful of the people you work with, you bank with, you give your money to because you don't know how that money is being spent. Big City 101.3 FM, waking up with Taylor Andre. I hope you guys have an amazing day today. We'll be back with Motivational Monday on Monday. I love you.